Good morning, everyone. I am so glad that you are joining us, whether you are sitting comfy cozy there in the in the blue seats or whether you are watching us online. I am so glad that you are tuning in with us and worshiping God together with us. He had a couple really quick things that I wanted to uh, announce is first off, make sure you check our website. There are so many things that are going on in Southwoods Christian Church, in our children's student ministry, in our small groups, and just plenty of other ways that you can get connected in and grow in your faith. Also, I encourage you, if you're at home, maybe this is a good time to go and get some communion, something you can use for communion for our communion time. I had a, a verse I wanted to share with us. Uh, it comes from Psalm 100, verse 2, and it says this, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. You know, God has given each and every one of us uh, a calling to our lives, a, a, a way that we can serve and be useful in, in ministry, something that we can be fulfilled in doing. So Bob's going to be talking to us today, and I just encourage you to have your ears and your hearts open for what he, is, he wants to say from God for us. But it also says to come before his presence with singing. So let's right now stand up and let's lift our voices together in celebrating the king of the universe that we worship today. You are the man. Stand up. Welcome to Southwoods. We're glad you guys are here this morning, whether you're here in person or live stream. We're excited to worship with you.
somebody this morning. Again, we're so glad that you guys are here this morning. We just, if you just want to um, draw your attention up to the screen, you can see that there's lots of ways to give. Um, and just give as God has blessed you. We know that this has been a hard time, and Southwoods has been so blessed to have you as our congregation to just still be generous. So just give as God has blessed you. We're going to sing a new song this morning. Um, so if you know it, sing it out. Um, but it's just about the freedom that we find in Christ. So let's sing this together.
worshiping this morning, and Corey's going to lead us in this hymn. I just encourage you, like, open your heart to God. Open yourself up for what he has for you today. We've got a really cool message coming. Um, I know a lot of people know this song, so if you just want to open your hands, open your heart, and sing along.
had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Sing it again. Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Will you pray with me? Father, we're so thankful that you paid it all. God, that our sin was so dark. God, that we were stained. And God, that you were able to completely wipe that away. Father, you're so good. Father, let your presence fill this place for us this morning. And God, let us remember how much you love us because of sending your son. God, that we have this bread and this juice that will represent all of that. God, just help us remember and weigh heavy on us, Father, the things that, that you want for each one of us. God, meet us here individually. Everyone in the sound of my voice, God, meet them individually and let them feel your presence and your love because, God, you're such a good Father. Be with us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat and take communion.
good morning, Southwoods. It's good to see you. Somebody had a little gusto there. I appreciate that. Uh, it's good to see you today. Uh, my name is Greg Montague. If you're new at Southwoods and uh, not connected to us, kind of learning about us, I'm the pastor here and thrilled to be here with you. I just want you to know today is my first day to be here as a father-in-law. And, uh, so that's pretty cool. I've been a father for a long time, but I've just been a father-in-law for uh, a few days. And uh, Joey, our oldest son, uh, was married this last Friday, and that was a wonderful occasion. Just everything went like you'd want it to go. Uh, as in all weddings, there are little things, little things that you think, I wish that was different, but, you know, that's just because that's the perfectionist in all of us, isn't it? But it was a wonderful time, and we have several family here today, and so... Uh, I just thought about it months ago when I started planning for this day. I just thought, you know, probably everybody would rather hear somebody other than me on that weekend uh, because my brain's a little distracted uh, by the wedding. So um, I asked my brother-in-law, Bob Wallace. So welcome, Bob. Bob's, Bob's going to share today. I want to introduce you to him. Uh, Cody referred to him as Bob, and I was thinking, I, some of you don't know who Bob is. Bob's the director, uh, the executive director of the Alliance of Christian uh, Missions International, and uh, it's, I just call it ACME for entertainment's sake, but uh, he's the executive director of it, and uh, uh, Jeremy and Beth, who are part of one of our, some of our ministry partners in North Africa, they are under the sort of umbrella, the oversight of uh, ACMI. So we're, uh, we have got multiple vested interests in who Bob is, what he does, but also, uh, obviously, in Jeremy and Beth. And so we uh, uh, just want to encourage you, as you pray for Jeremy and Beth, pray for Bob, pray for, pray for all of the ministry partners that are underneath that umbrella. Several that we don't support, but, you know, Jeremy and Beth, we do. So uh, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then uh, Bob's going to teach this morning, and, uh, and I know you'll be blessed by what he's going to say. All right? Father, thank you for the opportunity to be together. Thank you for Bob. Pray for your uh, blessing on his words, and I pray that you'll give us ears to hear what your spirit wants to say to us this morning. Uh, we desperately need, every one of us, to hear uh, just word of encouragement, guidance, counsel, strength, uh, just the impartation of your spirit. We need you, more of you. So, uh, Lord, come. Uh, fill us, strengthen us, and use Bob. And we'll give you credit for every good thing that happens. So grateful for your grace and uh, ask for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, it's an honor to be here today. And it was an honor to be at the wedding um, Friday and, and to watch Greg. Now, I have uh, married both of my kids off. And, and if you haven't had the opportunity to do that, it's one of the hardest things to do to stand there in front of your kid and not cry. And I'm crying just thinking about it. But Greg did great, and uh, it, it was just a real joy to be there. But, you know, it has been quite a year from pre-COVID to now. And as I've been traveling around a little bit, it, it appears that things are somewhat getting back to normal, depending on your definition of normal. And as I've traveled, I've, I've noticed some signs that the economy is improving. You know, I see some help-wanted signs, and that's always a positive indication, isn't it? But I'm confident that you have also heard the reports that it's been difficult to get people back into the workforce. And there's been a lot of explanations given for the reasons for that. And so in my travels, as I've seen these help wanted signs, I've also looked at some of the things in the newspaper, and I've run across a couple of things that 
are probably reason enough not to go into the workforce. Let me give you a couple of examples. Like this first one, it's an ad that appeals to one's self-motivation. And it says, help wanted, I'm quite sure that most of you have seen the rather large green dragon that's been flying over OKC for the better part of a week. I'm looking for someone to lure said dragon away from OKC to a more rural area. Force said dragon to land in rural area. Slay said dragon in whatever way you see fit. This is the best part. No pay. Dragon slaying is its own reward. Don't you just love that? And the ad concludes, please note, I'm not talking about the red dragon that frequents the area from time to time. He and I have an agreement. (laughs) Wow. And I'm not sure there's going to be a line waiting for this job. It says, we are hiring, low pay, bad hours, jerk boss, apply now. I don't think that's happening. And there's not much we can say about this next ad. It says, wanted someone to go back in time with me. This is not a joke. P.O. Box 322, Oakview, California. You'll get paid after we get back. You must bring your own gun. Safety's not guaranteed. And I've only done this once before. (laughs) Just think you could make history if you apply for this job. But, you know, sometimes the ads... They have mixed messages, and it's a little bit confusing, kind of like this one that reads, tired of working for only $9.75 an hour? We offer flexible hours, benefits, and profit sharing. Starting pay, $5 to $7 an hour. Man, oh man, aren't you glad that, the, that God the Father doesn't have any help-wanted ads? Or does he? I mean, just think about it for a moment. If God had a help wanted to add, what would that message be? Now, in reality, we we know that God doesn't need our help. And I think we all know and acknowledge that fact. But if he did, if he placed a help wanted ad, what would it be for? And would you stand in line to have God be your boss? We're going to spend a little time this morning in Luke chapter 10 and Acts chapter 13. And it's in Luke chapter 10, we're going to see God's help wanted ad and the response to that ad in Acts 13. Now, just prior to Luke chapter 10 and Luke 9, we see Jesus resolutely headed back to Jerusalem to become our Savior and our Lord. And on his way to the cross where he demonstrates real love and becomes our real hope, He sends out messengers ahead of him to visit all the places that he is going to go on his way back to Jerusalem. So let's walk through this event together. Turn in your Bibles or on your devices to Luke chapter 10. We'll begin in verse 1. The Bible says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. So did you see it? Did you see the help wanted ad? He's asking for workers to share his message and harvest his fields. He's asking for workers to share his message and to harvest his fields. And there's no ambiguity or confusion in this message either. It is clear that he, the creator of the universe is asking for help. 
Now, some are beginning to think, oh, no, this is another missionary message. And before you set your alarms or not off or just check out, let's spend a few minutes to really look at what's going on in these verses. And yes, I do believe that this message, this passage applies for missionaries being sent and answering the call to foreign fields. But I also think God is talking directly to all believers and he's given us a message that we are to share with the people we meet in the fields in which we live. So let me say it again. This calling to uh, be a worker is not just for missionaries. Or are we to pray that God would send somebody else? And I think in these verses, we're going to see three distinct points that tell us that we are Jesus' workers. And it's we that have a message to share. And that message is Jesus' message. You see, first in the verse 1, Jesus has appointed those messengers that he sent ahead. And this isn't like a, a captain's choice pickup game. No, this is serious business. To be appointed means to be commissioned publicly, to be an official, authoritative representative of the one doing the sending. And we should know that we, as Jesus' disciples, we are those representatives that are to share the message. And we've been given this position through the Great Commission that says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. That's our message, and that's our mission. Secondly, in verse 2, it says that these representatives were going to the places that Jesus was going to visit on his way to Jerusalem, not away from the city. You see, Jesus' worldwide commissioning doesn't happen until after his resurrection. And it's described in Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1. So you see the disciples in this passage, they're staying local. And they're going ahead of Jesus to share his message and prepare them and, and give them an opportunity to respond and be ready for Jesus when he arrives. And thirdly, when Jesus commands the disciples to pray for more workers, the implication was not for others, but for themselves to join in the work. You see, asking God for more workers emphasizes the fact that Making disciples is important, and it's from God, not from us. So I pray you're beginning to see that sharing the message of Christ and working in His fields is every believer's responsibility. And that's important. Sharing the message of Christ and working in His fields is every believer's responsibility. Now, these verses give us some other insights as well. Verse 3 tells us that the work is going to be hard, and it could be dangerous. Now, not nearly as dangerous as dragon slaying or going back in time. And we in Western society don't often feel like we're in danger for being Christians and sharing his message. But friends, the attacks on Christianity are getting more and more hostile. And therefore, verse 4 reminds us of the urgency in which we need to share the message of Jesus Christ. We need to be ready at a moment's notice to move to listen, and to respond to every situation that we're in. Wouldn't it be amazing if the message 
of Jesus Christ traveled around the world as fast as a virus? You see, we need to sense that urgency. Because in a world of billions of people, many, many people will spend an eternity without Christ if we are not sharing his message and harvesting in his fields. We have to do it ourselves. And you may be saying, okay, I get that. I, I understand that. But what exactly is the message that we are to be sharing? Well, to answer that question, we need to just go back a couple of years in the life of Jesus. At the beginning of his ministry, we're introduced to John the Baptist. And we first hear this message in Matthew 3, verse 2, when John says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then in Matthew chapter 4, we find that Jesus is being tempted. And after the temptation, they tell him that John's been put into prison. And so then Matthew again reminds us when he says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And that's the message that Jesus has given us. So let's continue reading in Luke chapter 10, verse 8. Jesus says, When you enter a town, are welcome. Eat what is offered you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. So what do you think of when you hear that phrase, the kingdom of God has come near? Let's just camp out here for just a minute and unpack what Jesus means by that statement. You see, the kingdom of God is central to Jesus' mission on this planet. And his death and resurrection are going to be very important in seeing this kingdom come. God's kingdom signifies the sovereignty and rule of God. And Jesus is bringing that kingdom to earth. Perhaps a better translation of verse 9 that we just read is that the kingdom of God is upon you. You see, with Jesus' arrival, the kingdom is here. Now, it's likely that you're familiar with the phrase about the kingdom, the now but not yet. You see, because there is a future aspect to the kingdom. Considering the now part of the kingdom, God's sovereign rule is leading Jesus to the cross his death and resurrection will make the kingdom synonymous with Jesus' rule as Savior and Lord. And Peter states this emphatically on the day of Pentecost when he says this, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. See, because what Jesus has done on the cross, he has brought uh, and through his resurrection, he has brought the promise of salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit that we can experience in the present kingdom that is here right now. But you know, today, the, the future isn't complete because there is a not yet part of the kingdom when Jesus says when he returns a second and final time. But it is significant for today's discussion that we understand that the kingdom of God is here now. Now, why is this important, and what are we supposed to do with this information? And those are great questions, and I'm really glad that you asked. <laughs> the message of the kingdom of God continued after Jesus' ascension and into the 
early beginnings of the church. And by God's design, we are the messengers that are to bring a message of healing to a lost and hurting world. We are the workers sent into the field that's ready for harvest. And we continue sharing the message that the kingdom of God is here. Now, there is a great example of this found in Acts chapter 13. And let's turn there for a moment. We're going to see here in Acts chapter 13 that everyone plays a part in answering God's help wanted ad. And in this example, we're going to see that the response is sending out missionaries. But there are so many similarities to our responding to God's help wanted ad, whether we're staying local or not. You see, it's not an either or, but it's a both and. So jump over there in, in, in Acts chapter 13 on your devices or in your Bible, and we'll begin again in verse 1. And it reads like this, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So maybe it'd be good here to pause for just a little background. See, Antioch was situated geographically on some of the area's main travel routes, both land and sea. And it was the church at Antioch, not Jerusalem, that becomes the center from which the gospel spreads to the ends of the earth. And it was from here that Barnabas and Saul take the first of Saul's three missionary journeys. The Bible makes sure that it tells us, too, that the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And that for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul taught the church, and great numbers of people came to know Jesus as Lord. The church at Antioch showed itself to be very good at being a church that made disciples. And so it makes sense that it would be the church at Antioch that began to send out the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. But it's in this passage that the dramatic story begins. They were worshiping. And the word worshiping indicates that it's a habitual practice for the church. You see, for the church then and now, worship should be a focal point of a disciple's life. Worship includes time spent praising God, the, the creator, for rescuing us from sin and darkness, time praying to God and offering intercessory prayers for others, time spent serving one another, and time listening to the instructions from the prophets and teachers and from Greg telling us how we are supposed to live in our Christian daily life. You see, friends, that is the heart of worship. And it was often celebratory in nature, and I find it hard to believe that we can hear and understand God's will for our life if we are not engaged in worship and serving others. So allow me to encourage you to not just worship here on Sundays, but to worship throughout the week. Serve someone this week without expecting anything in return. Pray for the church, for its leaders, for one another, for our country. And pray for harvest workers. Oh, man, I pray that you would do that. So let's see what happens next, though, in this passage as, as we continue in verse 2. It goes on to say, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now this is really amazing to me. Here's a group of disciples that are worshiping, they're fasting, they're praying, and the Holy Spirit speaks and gives them a specific command. And how, how did they respond? They said, let's form some committees. One committee will decide where they're going to go. Another committee is going to decide how much food they need to take. And yet a third committee, well, we're going to see how often they need to communicate back and forth to us and send us their reports. You see, that's what we do today, isn't it? We think and we analyze and we rethink and then we look at more options before we move. But friends, this is not a time to debate. It is not a time to deliberate or delay. It's a time to respond. You see, there really only are three responses to to the call to make disciples. Really only three responses to God's help wanted ad. And the first is to go. There are local and national opportunities available to you. And I'm sure in this area there are many, many opportunities for you to go and serve and to share the gospel of Jesus, to serve others to bring the hope of the kingdom of God to the present. You know, at ACM, we would like to talk to you about maybe going overseas, answering the call. We, we are always looking for new fields in which to serve. So if God is speaking to you, we would love to talk to you about that. But another response is to support and send workers into the field. Notice the people of Antioch responding to the Holy Spirit's command as one body. Saul and Barnabas Barnabas are being sent uh, by the church, and they're offering financial and prayer support. And we won't go into all the ways that they offered that financial support, but later in Paul's letter, he often talks about how grateful he is for the financial support from the various churches. But notice that in both of these responses... Obedience to the call is immediate. There's no delay. Now, there is a third response, and and that is just disobedience or doing nothing at all. And we're not going to spend any time talking about that, but just know that that is not the response that God desires. Put it in practical terms, how often have, have we as parents wished our kids, our children, would be more obedient and do what, what it is we ask? But I wonder if... Sometimes God doesn't think about us that way as his children and how often we obey or not to the things that he's asked us to do. You see, the the original language for this word obedience means to hear what someone is requesting and then act upon it. To hear what someone in authority is requesting and then act upon it. And Jesus set the example of what that means. On the night of his betrayal, he told his disciples that the love for his father would be demonstrated by his obeying the father's commands. And that command meant that Jesus took on human form to live in submission to his father and to die on the cross for us. The Bible says, in being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was compliant with the requirements of human death, even though he was and still is God. And like the church at Antioch, I pray that we are quick to respond in obedience when the Spirit asks. 
So what there might be some significant lessons that we can take from these passages this morning? Well, first, I think that sharing the gospel begins right where we are. Let's go back into Luke chapter 10. And notice again in verse 1 of Luke 10, Jesus is sending those disciples to Jerusalem, not away from it. Know that these two callings are not mutually exclusive. The work is similar whether you are staying home or going overseas. Think about the people that you know and answer these questions. With whom have you shared Jesus with lately? Right where you are. Do you know the names of the, your friends? Do you know the names of their kids? Where they work? Where they grew up? What, what do, do they like to do for hobbies? And I'm sure most of you know the answers to all those, although some may not. But then ask and answer these questions. Do you know what they think about heaven or hell? Do you know what they think about grace or mercy? Do you know what they wrestle with? What sin or addictions hold them in bondage? There was a group of men that had been meeting, and Joe, who's not his real name, announced to the group that he was leaving his wife for another woman. This surprised the group. Not once did he ever mention that he had marital issues until he made the announcement that he was leaving his wife. One of the guys said, man, I thought we were brothers, but it turns out we barely knew each other. Oh, they talked about sports and politics and passions and hobbies, but they didn't have a deep spiritual relationship with Joe, nor had they grown in their spiritual walk with Jesus. One of the reasons that we don't do these things is because we don't know how to share that message. But I saw this firsthand on a recent trip to North Africa. Uh, Sherry and I and our missionary friend, we jumped in a taxi cab because we had to get somewhere pretty quickly. And as soon as we got in the cab, the missionary and the cab driver started talking, and Sherry and I couldn't understand a word of it. But we could tell by the facial expressions that something good was happening. They were totally engaged. And when we got out of the cab, we asked him, well, what was that all about? He said, well, when I got in, I just asked him if I could share some proverbs, some sayings that I thought were really cool. And he said, yeah, you can if I can share some of mine. And that's what they did for that whole taxi drive. They just talked back and forth, back and forth. And then just before we got out of the cab, our missionary friend turned to the driver and said, did you like my sayings? And the driver said, yeah. And he said, do you know who said those sayings? And the driver said, no. And he said, Jesus did. And this guy, his eyes got big and he went, the prophet? He said those things? And the missionary said, yeah. And I've got a whole book of Jesus sayings. Would you like to hear some more? And he said, yes, I would. And they are still in communication, sharing the message with each other. Sharing is that easy. But unfortunately, as we're going to find in a minute, sharing doesn't always end that positively. But that's okay. You see, a person's response is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to work in the fields and share the message. You know, another lesson that we can apply is that discipleship or working in the fields is for the long haul. 
One of the characteristics of Western society is, is, is immediate gratification or the quick fix. We don't like to work long to see a result. We want it right now. And sadly, that characteristic doesn't work well when we're sharing the message of Christ. Listen to the words of Jesus as he instructs his disciples in Luke chapter 10, verses 5, five through 7. He says, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. You see, friends, discipleship is about relationships that are healthy and spiritual, and they take time to build and to grow. How long are you willing to work in the fields? How long are you willing to invest your time and talent and treasures for someone who does not yet know Jesus? Or possibly for a young Christian learning what it means to be a follower of Christ, learning how to make more disciples. You see, one of these factors in making relationships is to create a relational environment. And it doesn't happen overnight. Trust needs to be earned so that the relationship is open and authentic and accountable. The Apostle Paul understood this principle as well in 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. He says to Timothy, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Said in a different way, discipleship happens when we do life together in long-lasting relationships. So are you relational? Whether or not you're in a small group, think about someone that you're discipling with. Think about them and where they're coming from so that you can invest your time and talent into uh, their lives and speak the kingdom of God to them. That is sharing the message of Jesus in a relational environment. And again, one of the reasons that are given for not sharing Jesus' message is fear, fear of rejection. What if those, those who are not working the fields reject me and turn against me? What if what I say, what if the message of Jesus offends them? You see, Jesus encourages the disciples, and he says that they're not alone in the harvest work. In verse 16 of our passage, Jesus says, Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. Friends, we don't need to take rejection or success personally because it's not us that they're accepting or rejecting. It's Jesus with whom they're dealing with. And we can be encouraged by the end of the Great Commission that we often leave off. When Jesus says, and I will be with you to the very ends of the age. When we are teaching people to obey Jesus' commands and we are making disciples, Jesus' promise is that he will be with us. That we're not doing it alone. So knowing that leads us to the third lesson. That discipleship brings joy. Answering God's help wanted ad brings joy. And that comes through obedience. Let's continue reading in Luke 10, verse 17. It says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw 
Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Their mission was a success. They're overjoyed by the power that they hold over evil. And Jesus responds by picturing the fall of Satan with imagery from the passage in Isaiah 14 that they would have been very familiar with. But then he says, having this power is not the true reason for joy. Rather, having your names written in heaven. Now that is the true source of joy. And our names are written in the book of life when we are obedient to the teachings of Jesus. We believe and confess that he is the Messiah and Lord of our lives. And we allow him to change us from the inside out through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we commit to being part of his mission of making disciples. Friends, that is what it means to be a disciple that makes disciple, a worker who answers God's help wanted sign. The experience of that, that we have in having our names written in the book of heaven, uh, written in heaven, is described this way. In Philippians 3.20, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. It's true. As Christians, we live on this planet, but our citizenship is elsewhere. It's in heaven. And the phrase, eagerly awaits, describes a a young child standing on his tiptoes, reaching up, wanting his parents to pick him up. And that is what Jesus promised to do when he comes a second and final time. To take us home, to be with us for all eternity. That, friends, is a reason for joy. So do you want to experience that joy? Begin by being obedient, answering God's help wanted ad, and sharing the message that the kingdom of God is here. And if it's okay with you, I'd like to pray for you as we close. Heavenly Father, we we recognize that you are sovereign and, and you don't really need our help but yet you've asked for it. And you want workers to go into your field to share your message, to make disciples, to to bring as many people into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as possible, to be obedient to your teachings, to live out the mission that you have given us. I pray for this church, Father. I know that the work that they have done for years has been to bring honor and glory through your glorified Christ and the Holy Spirit. Father, be with them as we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand up with us to sing this last song.
God has spoken to you in some way this morning, you know, to respond to God's call in our lives, whether it's, you know, sharing our faith or it's something else, it truly does take faith on our part, faith that God can speak through us and in spite of us, all of those kind of things. And maybe today as you head out, you just need to open your heart toward God and say, God, I need more faith in my life. Would you fill me? Would you strengthen me with faith? Uh, maybe some of us today, we need to acknowledge our faith in Jesus for the very first time. You've never given your life to Christ. You recognize that um, you've fallen short of God's expectations, your expectations. And you just need to look heavenward and say, Lord, would you, would you receive someone like me? Would you cleanse me? Would you make me yours? It's a step of faith that every one of us has to take at some point in time in our lives. Today would be a great day for some of us. So maybe today is the day for you to look forward to a God who, uh, who cares about you more than uh, he cared about his own life. So uh, just open your heart to him. Glad that you made a choice to be with us today. If you've never been uh, baptized before, uh, today after the service, uh, uh, Katie King is going to be baptized. And uh, I know there's some others who need to be. Maybe you've never seen a baptism, a great opportunity to hang around, witness a baptism. If you need to demonstrate your faith in baptism, as Scripture teaches, as Jesus appeals to us to do, um, let us know. We help you arrange that here in the near future. But uh, we're going to bow our heads and pray, and then we'll be dismissed. And uh, so grateful that you've joined us, whether you've been online or in person. We're grateful for you. Let's pray right now, okay? Father, we're thankful for your mercy, your grace. And with faith in our hearts, we look heavenward and acknowledge our need for you. Thank you that you build your kingdom through broken vessels like us. We just humble ourselves and come before you asking for more of you, more of your strength. Fill us with more faith that we might be bold and courageous as those early believers were and as we late in time near Jesus' return as we need to be. Help us. Help us to be like them in that respect. Father, we thank you for your sacrifice, for sending Jesus. We ask that you fill us with your mercy, your cleansing, your presence. Now, Lord, as we leave, would you go with us, guide our steps, hear our prayers, fill us. It's our request. We lift it together in the name of Jesus. And everybody agreed with me and said, amen, amen. Bless you all.